The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Well, what? I was riding right alongside Hopalong Cassidy, chasing some bad guys. Then I was with Lisa again, except this time we were snow sailing in New Zealand. Then I was eight years old, maybe nine, picking up leaves with my dad. But it wasn't a dream, Captain. It was as real as I'm sitting here. They told me you can try it. Who told you? They did. The, the ones I was with. I thought you were with Hopalong Cassidy and your girlfriend. <laughs> I was, but oh, it's hard to explain. You should try it. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Take him to sickbay. Captain, I'm fine. We'll let the doctor decide how fine you are. Come on down. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 13th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Paul McKeever. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And the doctors are in. Sounds like Trip has all the symptoms of somebody suffering from a primacy of consciousness. What's your prognosis, <laughs> Dr. McKeever? <laughs> well, I think we'll find out over the course of the next hour. Hey, you've never ever actually seen an episode of Enterprise, have you? <laughs> I think I may have seen one, but once the guy slid under the door, that was it for me. Oh, no, that's Deep Space Nine. You see how confused you are? <laughs> <laughs> maybe Voyager was the end of my voyage. Yeah, yeah. maybe. But it's been a while since you've appeared as a co-host on the show. Great to have you here on a topic I know is one of your favorites because I know how significant you regard what's at stake at the root of this discussion. And, right. of course, we had some unexpected feedback about our show a couple of weeks ago on the whole issue of the primacy of consciousness versus the primacy of existence, and we'll be reviewing some of those. But first, let us remind our listeners that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of Just Right's past broadcasts. Well, Paul, on our June 29th show, which was just right 5.11, we discussed what was called the identity crisis and the primacy of consciousness. So I thought we could kick off the show today with a summary of that show, both for the sake of any listeners who may have not yet checked out that, that uh, broadcast, just right 5.11, and as an introduction to our broader discussion today. Right. And it was just a summary on what the previous show was about. Quote, the idea that words, which represent concepts about the real world, can be subjectively and variably interpreted is not only false, but exceedingly dangerous. It is a root cause of much of the strife in the world today. Nowhere can this be seen more clearly than in the world of politics, where the very term identity politics has come to mean a concealment or misrepresentation of identity. 
Among the words most misunderstood in the political lexicon are those used most often. Left, right, conservative, liberal, communism, fascism, capitalism, socialism, to name but a few. Having never clearly defined these words since they were first used, there has been a massive failure in the ability to identify political ideologies and their consequences when put into action. The political identity crisis has now been expanded into all fields of human discourse, including sexuality, where it has now become politically acceptable to deny one's sexual identity and to, to declare it to be something it is not. Words improperly used and applied can lead to, to a disconnect from reality and can fuel everything from political conflict to mental disorders to social dysfunction. This in no way speaks to the various gender identities that a small number of individuals may declare themselves to be. The issue here is not them, but our politicians who appear not only willing but eager to promote and legislate the flight from reality that has nothing to do with gender identity, which of course was a main point you were bringing up, Paul. Right, that's right. In politics, this flight from reality emanates from the left side of the political spectrum whose adherents operate on a philosophical concept that we've referred to as the primacy of consciousness. And Ayn Rand, of course, explained these. And here is the definition. The primacy of existence, of reality, is the axiom that existence exists, that the universe exists independent of consciousness, of any consciousness, that things are what they are, and that they possess a specific nature, an identity. There's that word sticking right out huge, right? Mm -hmm. The epistemological corollary is the axiom that consciousness is the faculty of perceiving that which exists, and that man gains knowledge of reality by looking outward. The rejection of these axioms represents a reversal, the primacy of consciousness, the notion that the universe has no independent existence, that it is the product of a consciousness, either human or divine or both. And the epistemological corollary is the notion that man gains knowledge of reality by looking inward, either at his own consciousness or at the revelations it receives from another superior consciousness. The source of this reversal is the inability or unwillingness fully to grasp the difference between one's inner state and the outer world, i.e. between the perceiver and the perceived. This Crucial distinction is not given to man automatically. It has to be learned, end quote. And Paul, I have to tell you, there's two clear definitions, right? Right. And yet after reading that, the people who posted and responded became perfect demonstrations of what she had just written. You follow what I'm saying? Oh, I do, yeah. And I, and I yeah. did take a moment to yeah. read some of those comments. So if there's a lesson here, it's, it's that being right requires learning what is right. And of course, from our point of view, properly defined, the right side of the political spectrum, not the right wing, operates on the philosophical premise of the primacy of existence. Now, I actually did not expect so many people to react so disagreeingly <laughs> right. to our whole premise. Yeah. There was a batch of folks who played it this way, and here's, here's one we got from uh, Alec B., and he says, such big words, I don't get it, which is good. Now, that's his comment, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and, it's not much you, you can know, say about that, yeah. Well, you know, that's what I thought at first, Paul. Thank you for saying that. I dismissed it at first. 
because it sounded like you know, maybe it was just a friendly comment or something. But I started realizing after dealing with other commentators that maybe there's more to this. Maybe this is a person who does not want to know. When, when he says he doesn't get it, I, I, I had to rethink that. Wait a minute, are the words left, right, conservative, liberal, communism, are they, are they such big words? I mean, they're not big words. Right. right. We hear them in the news every day of the week. So what I thought I thought he was getting at was he had never encountered big ideas before. Right. That maybe that was his intention not to do that. I, I, I did say I hope that wasn't the intention. I said otherwise we'd have to make up a new term and we'd have to call it the primacy of unconsciousness. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm getting at? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Del- deliberate uh, head in the sand. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems to be what we started getting. For, for example, here's Cal B, and he writes, I thunk me got it. Let's see. You can be right even if you're left, right? Or rightly left of right, right? And you can be right, but not always just right or just left. You can exist without knowing you exist existentially, and by extension can rightfully be called existing primarily. Oh, screw it. My head hurts. LOL. Does this make more sense? And then he writes, you are not what you think you are. You are not what others think you are. You are what you think others think you are. Certainly that. Yeah, I mean, I, that, maybe he's extrapolating that from like the very last line of, of uh, uh, the essay that I wrote, where I said, you know, if you let other people tell you uh, what they are, you're just opening the door to letting them tell you what you are, I suppose. <laughs> exactly. And in, yeah. in fact, I, I mentioned that that was, a, it felt like that, that that was the reference, right? And I said, sorry, Cal, you're not what you think others think you are. In fact, I looked at it this way. Isn't it a perfect example of the primacy of consciousness? And he's made it worse since in, you can't know what other people think you are. So now you've made the thoughts of another person primary to your own. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So yep. consequently, he's jumped from the frying pan into the fire by entertaining the primacy of another person's consciousness, which was the very danger that you warned about in your essay on that right. show last week, right? Right, right. Oh, here's another one by uh, Clayton T., um, duh. The subject matter of this poorly written article is fairly simple to understand. Hmm. <laughs> and that's and it? I wrote, oh. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And, and then I responded, well, then the article must have been written well if it was made, quote, simple to understand, <laughs> right? Right. I said, perhaps you might wish to share that understanding with the rest of us. Our guess is that you don't understand the subject matter, but we would be delighted to have you prove us wrong. Well, it's been two weeks. I'm still waiting, Paul. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of posturing that goes on in politics, but also in the philosophy underlying. And I think people pretend they understand the underlying philosophy and would probably be horrified if they discovered what philosophy ultimately under, underpins the, the politics right. that they, they uh, support. Now, here's the last one I want to deal with in this quarter, but this came from James D., okay? And he got into a little bit of a back and forth. And he began by saying, all of this psychological mumbo-jumbo may turn the writer of all this uninteresting subject, but it won't change a damn thing that's going on today in our country. It might impress your friends, but no one else. Americans need to get back to being Americans, plain and simple. You impressing yourself and your friends with your freedom of speech crap impresses no one else. Right. Okay. Anti-intellectual, <laughs> anti-philosophical, just keep repeating what the minor bird told you to do and, and you'll be an American. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just can't let something like that go. And so I wrote him. I said, I said, yet you took the time to write us about this uninteresting subject while exercising your freedom of speech. And we're impressed. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> we weren't even talking about freedom of speech, by the way. Right. But f- fact is, ideas and philosophies precede actions. So I told James that if you're looking for some kind of action that changed something, which was the context of the discussion, right, uh, then you'd require electing politicians and activists who operate on the primacy of existence, because if you don't know how to spot them, how can things ever change? And I also pointed out we're not here to impress anyone. We operate here at Just Right to present a proper philosophical argument for what we have discovered and learned is right. We didn't make it up, right? (laughs) Philosophically, factually, morally, and politically. And you know what? That rarely impresses folks. If anything, it makes them angry. (laughs) Well, you know, especially when they like to believe that it's not knowable, that that the reasons for things aren't knowable. That's right. That's exactly it. He writes back, if you're not here to impress anyone, why use language that will not reach the majority of Americans? I'm sure you would agree that the average American won't attempt to read the rest of your statement after a few sentences into your article. I'm not asking you to dumb down your comments. I'm suggesting you make an effort to appeal to a larger audience. An interesting thing he wants us to do, given he doesn't seem to like the message that he wants us to get to a larger audience. I don't know. Yeah, and sometimes that's just a call for an abandonment of the very concepts that he finds most off-putting. If you, get yeah. rid of the, if you get rid of the damaging concepts, then you're only left with a bunch of pudding that offends nobody and helps nobody. Right. Yeah. And he says, when you speak over their heads, you immediately anger people, and your results will be minimal. If that's what you wish, I'm sure you won't be happy with your results. And I wrote him back because I thought this was important. I said, we use the language we do because it's the correct language to use. And this is the very evidence that demonstrates we're not using it to impress anyone, but to inform and educate. It's the language of philosophy. This is it, huh? Oh, no. Oh, I think this is it. It's all changed around. Oh, I hope it's it. Yeah, this, this is it. This Change. Change. Uh, as soon as I can get to West National to the uh, VA. Marianne, hang on, hold up a sec. Yeah. What? I got this shoulder. Yeah, be right with you, pal. What do you need? Just some this. Oh, what yeah. you got here? What are you doing? Here now. You know, it's all you got. You know? Here. There you go, brother. Have three squares on me. That's all you got? How dare you do a thing like that? Well, the guy's hungry. Well, yeah, but I mean, that's for me to decide. That's my money. You've got plenty of it there. What's the problem? Man, I worked hard for it, too, damn it. <laughs> Well, you couldn't carry something smaller? What do you carry hundreds around for, a status or something? No, an emergency. Well, this was an emergency. Yeah, but it wasn't my emergency. Look, it's that attitude that keeps half the people in this world starving, you know that? I don't see you feeding the poor. What did you just see, huh? Oh, you're such a jackass. Oh, am I? Who's back? Hi, Ron. Well, hello, Matthew. Well, I bet you're surprised to see me. What? Oh, and you've lost weight. And your hair, why, you look ten years younger. Cut the crap, Matty. You've been a bad boy. I know. Mea culpa, mea culpa. And six Emperor Tyrannus. Oh, you're so right. But I've come to pay you back what I owe you. Will wonders never cease? Do you still have my things, my address book? Show me cash. I'll show you the book. Could you hang on a minute? This is fun for you? Yes, please. Marianne, I need $2,000 cash. Yes, isn't it nice that one of us became a materialistic being? Yes, it is. Can you help me, please? We've been talking about the primacy of existence versus the primacy of consciousness, which sounds like very abstract issues, but uh, some very concrete responses, I would say, Paul. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, a couple 
couple more I wanted to look at before we get to the bottom of the hour, because these ones are definitely in the disagreement department. This one came from Chris TF, who actually posted several comments independently. Uh, one, you know, some very disingenuous BS going on here. Uh, another comment, trans identities are scary and I'm scared. Another comment, completely misrepresents the issue, acting as if the social world is completely fixed, material, and unchanging. Well, that one caught my attention. And I responded that the issue, quote-unquote, is not about changing the social world, at least not that wasn't the discussion of the day. The issue is about changing definitions to mean what they don't mean and the problems that occur when you deal with improper definitions, right? The social world's always changing. And, and the truth or falsity of ideas and morality, however, are what do not change in terms of the standards on which they're based. You know, I was reading Kevin Williamson's book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Socialism, who quoted Hitler as saying, he says, quote, Hitler was known to protest that, quote, the Jew is not a socialist, end quote, in explaining his anti-Semitism, right? So, <laughs> so, so because had, he's not a socialist, he's an anti-Semite? Because the Jews well, are not anti that, oh. it's a it's a non sequitur, yeah. but it, that was one of the things that justified it, you okay. see. And, and so I'm saying all of these things, socialism, fascism, communism, they're all on the left, and they're always evils, and always eventually lead to self-destruction of nations. I said the only difference is maybe may the length of time it takes, and this will never change because it's an eternal truth. And what does change is the fact that many people may come to regard such evils as a good. That's the scary right. part, right? And often because it's been misrepresented. And mis mis misdefined for them, they've been told it is the good. And therein lies both the evil and the tragedy and the significance of what we're talking about. And you know, there's the worst side, right? When they come to regard the good, freedom and capitalism, as the evil. Holy smokes. Right, the complete right? inversion. <laughs> totally, and that's what we see going on today. And so they're totally disarmed to defend themselves against the onslaught of irrationality and evil, and that all coming from the left. Now, Chris T.F., you know, he writes back, no one's changing the definition of any words. Every manifestation of fascism we've ever seen has been on the right, Italy, Spain, etc. Hitler was not a leftist. He crushed workers' rights, busted unions, purged leftists from his country or from his party, look up the, the night of long knives, and had no intention of creating a democratic worker state. Not sure where exactly the leftism comes into the picture, aside from the word socialism. <laughs> yeah, just from apart that from that, you know, no biggie. <laughs> apart, apart from what they called themselves, yeah. what they operated on, <laughs> and, and there's, doesn't know how that where Seizing that property, in. redistributing wealth, yeah. Right. He continues, this one, he quotes me, this will never change because it is an eternal truth, end quote. Wow, what a great argument. Your whole comment is a nonsense polemic. There isn't even a cogent argument that I can engage with. I'm sure the 25,000 children who die every day under capitalism because they don't have food or medicine really buy into your eternal truth BS. <laughs> okay, this is what we're getting. Sorry, Chris, not only are your facts and history incorrect, but you've got it exactly backwards regarding the notion that fascism is on the right. It just ain't so. And I said in, in our arguments that he obviously didn't examine, we cited official references and political dictionaries from both the left and right, which I did. I went to the Oxford. I went to the, the official uh, political dictionaries, right, who all agreed that these definitions are constantly changing and can never really be objectively defined. And I see that as a problem. I don't think it's something you should accept. No, 
No, you? You, the, you know, both on the left and on the right, there are definitions. A lot of people don't want to associate with them or recognize them, but they're there and they're longstanding. And to just brush them aside and say they don't matter or that, that it's uh, somehow too confusing or there's too many different but equally valid meanings for each word to bother having the words at all. I think all that uh, is fairly recent nonsense, and and it's destroying really. It, I think it's part of a. I think it's part of um of a strategy yeah. actually. Well, but, it's or- Orwell um, all over that, again, that, isn't it? Oh, oh, very much so. On the matter of eternal truths, you know, I told him it appeared to me that what he's really objecting to is the idea that they're absolutes, right. right? And the determination of what is real and true, and and that's understandable given that utterly laughable and unreal fiction that he had to create. I said, where's your imaginary capitalist country in which 25,000 children die every day, (laughs) right? (laughs) The condition you describe is that which occurs in socialist, communist, fascist dictatorships, sort of like Venezuela. Venezuela. Sound familiar? Right? The, The African dictatorships, the Mideast religious dictatorships, the theocracies, other hell holes on earth like North Korea. Are these, is this his capitalist world? You yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and I just, I hate it. You know, I had to say this. I said, look at playing stupid and pretending that one cares about the plight of starving children is a signature of the left. I'm sorry, Paul, but I've been noticing it over and over again. And, and by the way, know, I, I would say, add on to that, I just say that, you know, when you say of the left, because we're not talking about liberal versus conservative when you say left, right? Uh, no, that's been, that's the context. Right. Of and, and you know, you left know. being sort of <laughs> dishonesty and, t- and tyranny. Uh, we see that both in liberal parties and conservative parties. I mean, that whole rejection Absolutely. of reality, reason and self. You, you recall that Yaron Brook even made this point. I said, look, at anyone who gave a damn about the poor or about hungry children would be a staunch advocate of freedom and capitalism because those are the only two conditions that ever made it possible to clothe, feed, and house the masses without slavery or war. Let's face it. Show me an exception. And then, he, then he writes back. He says, holy F, you're dumb. And that was one comment. And the next one, that's just too much BS, although he writes the words out. And then he goes... Third one, I'm done. And then he proceeds to keep going. (laughs) uh, Well, no, I wrote back. I said, you sure are. (laughs) And then I got five more right away, right? And, uh, but they were interesting too. And he says, on the idea of eternal truth, what I'm opposed to is you thinking that saying it is an eternal truth, quote, unquote, constitutes an argument, you thick S. Okay, he used the crap word, okay? And uh, I said, no one said that an eternal truth constitutes an argument, merely that eternal truths exist. (laughs) Saying that eternal truths do not exist is even less of an argument. (laughs) It closes the door to argument, which I kind of think was the idea, right? right? And then he writes on another comment, I didn't say there's one capitalist country where 25,000 children die each day. Under global capitalism, this is the case. Yeah, global capitalism, (laughs) it doesn't exist, yeah. Yes. These children die because the free market system doesn't provide them with medicine and food. You know why that food. is? Because there is no free market system. I mean, where is it? Where is this free market system? Yes. And, and the irony is, if I'm looking at it from my point of view, what he's advocating, he's upset because no one's violating the life, liberty, and property in the name of economic equality exactly. in, some of those, in the actual capitalist countries. But he, he didn't specify he was talking about global capitalism the first time around, and uh, which has never yet existed, as you say, as free market capitalism. But what about global socialism and communism? I think know? that exists to, to varying degrees. It already does. You can't, oh. 
You oh, can't absolutely. take it. Uh, you know, in North America alone, you have Medicare, you have uh, OHIP, all this universalized taxpayer-funded healthcare that's drowning uh, the books on both sides of that American and Canadian border with debt and say that it's not socialism. It's just, it defies reason to say such a thing. So to say that Canada and the U.S. are are not socialist countries is ridiculous. But even we are better off than other oh, socialist yeah. countries. You know, how do you, how do you compare yeah, the two, the, right? The degree of, how can you, how the degree you can, of tyranny. Yes. But it seemed to be that he, he was saying that capitalism is global. If that's so, then capitalism is not the issue. If some areas have poverty and others don't. Fair, fair <laughs> right? enough. If it's all over the place, it, it, the whole thing doesn't doesn't I think, you know. I think make when any he says sense. capitalism, he means trade, and that's all, or the movement of goods. Yes, yes, he does. And in matter of fact, those confusions came up in a few of his later comments. You know, Paul, I'm in the middle of reading uh, Naomi Klein's this, the book. It's called "This Changes Everything." This being climate change of all <laughs> things, and in in giant lettering on the back cover of her book, it reads. Quote, forget everything you know about climate change. The really inconvenient truth that it's not about carbon, it's about capitalism. Right. <laughs> There's the left telling their own people it's not about all this science, you know, climate and everything. But they, they don't even listen to no. their own people. It's not about right? facts. It's not about science. It's not about reason. It's about I want to have this. I don't want to pay for it. And any excuse will do. And so we're going to say that climate change is the campaign against capitalism. And she's openly admitting it. Yeah. Exactly. A lot of, he made another comment. I just want to get to this last one. In, after several other exchanges, he goes, uh, your ideology blows. <laughs> We've given it 300 years to fix global inequality, and it's only deepened the crisis. Was that, and, was that uh, supposed to be the goal know, of capitalism? Equality for everybody? Right. That's why I said, whoever said anything about fixing global inequality? I said, that's an insane goal. Because here's what you get. You can either have inequality and have wealth along with the inequality, or have equality and poverty. Right. <laughs> right? Those are the things that go together. That's the natural If you want anybody sitting on the and, wagon, and, you first have to have someone pulling the wagon. And as soon as everyone's sitting on the wagon, exactly. it doesn't move anywhere. 300 years? <laughs> 300 years, really? This is 2017. So our ideology, Paul, has been around since 1717. Did you know I'm that? not sure what he's even referring to. Probably John Locke, which was 1688, uh, but I, who knows? our ideology was not identified or discussed. The topic was identity, okay? Not one particular ideology or another. We're just saying you got to identify them and put them in their proper column. All we're asking is that our ideology, freedom and capitalism, which you see so many on the left despise and hate, all we're asking is that our ideology be given a place on the political spectrum, right? right? And once it's on the scale, go ahead and criticize it all you want. That's all we're Well, you know, that, that scale <laughs> that you've, you've been talking about for several weeks now on the show, left versus right, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, reality versus unreality, etc. That really needs to be fleshed out, I think, some more, not only on the right, which you do weekly. I mean, you, you do an excellent job of letting people know how reality, reason, self, and consent connect to the issues of the day. But what I find on the left is that same kind of anti-intellectualism you've been facing in some of these letters. There doesn't seem to be anybody out there enunciating what are the principles by which you get to the, the perfect collectivist state, you know, the collectivist politics. How do you get to there? What is the underlying, you know, ethics and epistemology and, and metaphysics for that? And I'm hoping, I'm hoping we can get right. into that. I'll, I can play the communist, play the devil's advocate. We could sort of juxtapose individual freedom and, and collectivism and see 
what underpins each system and see where it all stems from ultimately and whether we think that's justifiable. I want you and Paul to get the crew up there as quickly as you can. Hoshi. It would be best if they stayed where they were. What? We're offering them a great opportunity. They may never get another chance to experience existence as we do. Security to the bridge. You're taking over my crew. Why? I understand how you may be frightened by all this. Losing your substance, existing as perceptive energy. But you'll be grateful once you've made the crossing, I promise you. We're kind of fond of our substance. We're not very anxious to give it up. Those who've preceded you are safe and happy. You'll understand. Are you doing this for our benefit or for yours? Thompson. Whatever happened to free will? We actually tried free will before. After taking you from hunting and gathering to the height of the Roman Empire, we stepped back to see how you'd do on your own. You gave us the Dark Ages for five centuries, until finally we decided we should come back in. The chairman thought that maybe we just needed to do a better job with teaching you how to ride a bike before taking the training wheels off again. So we gave you the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the scientific revolution. For 600 years, we taught you to control your impulses with reason. Then in 1910, we stepped back again. Within 50 years, you'd brought us World War I, the Depression, fascism, the Holocaust, and capped it off by bringing the entire planet to the brink of destruction in the Cuban Missile Crisis. At that point, a decision was taken to step back in again before you did something that even we couldn't fix. You don't have free will, David. You have the appearance of free will. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who make it possible for us to continue our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts, all archived not just for your listening enjoyment and convenience, but also as a record of our dedication, consistency, and principled approach to the discussion of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. You know, Bob, I'm, I was proposing a minute ago that we, that we have a, a debate. I think we could almost call it a stage debate, really, where we compare and contrast you know, the, the side of individual freedom with the side of collectivism and do it point by point, starting with politics, justifying that with ethics, justifying that with what we call epistemology, and then finally getting down to reality. As you said, it's difficult to get someone on the left to sit down with you and explicitly explain the principles on which their philosophy operates. Right, and... Do you think that's because they know 
just something wrong with it and they're avoiding it or or because they know people would find it distasteful or unpopular or because i don't know what, what would the motivation for that be or is it just lack of knowledge on their own part I think there's largely, for most people, it would be a lack of knowledge if they only knew where the where their politics came from, uh, that they might have to rethink it, and perhaps they don't want to rethink it, and so they don't bother learning more about where it came from. Maybe that accounts for some of the hostility of some of the people responding, you know? Yeah, if they sense danger signals, when you start talking about reality and reason and self, and they start to say, I agree with that, how do I get from there to my position? Mm-hmm. That might cause some cognitive dissonance they just don't want to cope with. So, But let me, let me get the ball rolling. So I'm going to play okay. the role of, of collectivist here. I'm going to, in, okay. as, as well as I can... You're going to be the evil bad guy. Okay, I get it. Right, and I'm not, I'm not going to try and be snide. I'm not going to try and misrepresent no, okay. anything. I'll try and give a good case for the, for the left, for the collectivists. And I'll get the ball rolling by asking you, the advocate of individual freedom, what, what would you say are the essential components then of the politics, the political philosophy of individualism and freedom? components, I would say life, liberty, property. I would say politically, I mean, we said it from the beginning when when I got involved with Freedom Party, that the issue is consent, right? Right. And that's the political philosophy. Was So you're saying that consent is essential in some way to the politics of freedom. And so what, what role then does government so, so have in all of that? To be there as the social protector, the, we, we um, objectify our laws through government. Well, so you're saying that... The- I mean, it's, that they're, it's there to in, in make and enforce rules, right? Right. That ensures that nobody can take another person's life, liberty, and property, right? So, but, but without, by, without why, why would consent. you want that? Why would you want a society in which nobody's life, liberty, or property can be taken? What, what's the point? Well, so that you could have life, liberty, and property is the way I see it at the, in the end point. But the effect is that every individual has a freedom, you know, that he or she rationally needs to pursue the values that their survival depend upon. That, of course, was the argument that Ayn Rand made, right? It's about having that freedom to seek your values. And in earning those values, that's where you get the self-esteem and happiness that success brings to an individual. Well, 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 okay, so each person's off doing their own thing. Aren't you going to end up with inequality as a result? Yep, yep, yep. But not before the law, right? Some will make choices that lead to their survival and happiness, Others will make the choices that lead to their misery and premature death, right? So your, your, your philosophy of individual freedom, you're, you're happy with some people, you know, they might choose, make choices where they end up dying or suffering. Well, I'm not happy about it, but, it, but to try and remedy it by the use of force and by other, other means, I mean, we can do a lot of things to perhaps to remedy those issues. Well, and you the know, and that's, one... what we, that's what we collectivists do, you know, yeah. we ultimately... What what we we call humanity is one big collective entity, one family or or tribe, and and some of us collectivists we don't believe that individuals exist per se. We we see only the big collective entity. Other collectivists among us believe that human beings exist as individuals, but uh, all individualists, uh, so, sorry, collectivists believe that one's duty is is to the collective of mankind as a whole, not to oneself. And as a result, you know, none of us really believe that each individual has rights of life, liberty, and property. Some of us collectivists believe that we have some right to some property. For example, you know, bare necessities like life and health care and education, food and water and shelter, and but that nobody should have an absolute right to what he uh, does not need. Like, who needs to have a right to a mansion or a Ferrari or a yacht? And if one person's living in a mansion while another one's living in the street, something's very wrong with the system. I think you've got to agree there, Bob. Oh, yeah, something's very wrong. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's normally what they're no, going to say. But of yeah, course, I others, think, 
Others of no, us I think something's more wrong in the thinking about this. Well, uh, you know, others of us believe that no individual has a right to anything at all, not even to the necessities of life. I mean, we saw that in Russia, and that's arguably one example of of collectivism. I mean, sometimes it's right to sacrifice the few for the greater good of the collective. I mean, ultimately, the role of government is to make and enforce the rules that benefit the collective as a whole. Of course, we collectivists have different ideas about what the collective is and what the government should do to the benefit of the collective. I mean, some of us collectivists believe that every individual is a member of a single collective of humanity and that government should essentially take everything that each of us produces and redistribute it in whatever way benefits the collective. Others would say that equal portions go to everyone and some would say that each goes according to their need and some would say that those in government, you know, the politicians and the lawyers and the, do- and the uh, judges and etc., they need to have more because without their strength and without the guns, you know, in the police's hands, uh, police hands, uh, the collective could not properly be served. Whatever our differences, we collectivists agree on one thing. The wealth and power and love and admiration that an individual receives in this life should not be determined by the individual's alleged deservedness, but by what serves the good of the collective as a whole. I think you'd have to agree with that, Bob. It's obviously this Jesus tells us this kind of stuff for Pete's sake. I mean, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what justification morally could you have for your system where everybody's out there looking for his own? looking after his own uh, interests, his own happiness. When altruists talk to us and they want us to be not selfish, they want us to be selfish for, you know, not selfish for the selfishness of others. You follow me? Yeah. (laughs) Someone's going to benefit. (laughs) I see the whole whole thing as a kind of inversion. Well, okay, Bob. Now, let me Mm -hmm. just, you know, bring this down to something more fundamental. You've got this political philosophy where every individual is pursuing his own individual freedom and and to heck with the hindmost they can all suffer if they want to suffer or die if they die if they don't work that's too bad for them how do you i mean what's your moral justification for this morality is always based on a person's own life and the value of life and one's own life is the highest value that a person can have values have a purpose when you value something you're actually judging it you're measuring it you're, you know you're measuring something a, gr- a greater thing against a lesser thing we do it with our tv shows for heaven's mm-hmm. sakes right what show do you like better you value it more and some things are bad for you some things are good for you so you judge some things to be correct and others incorrect and some things to be consistent with what keeps people alive and others that are destructive of life and of liberty and of property. And we see this in history, you know. Some, some things we judge to be good and others to be evil. Some ways of obtaining things are virtuous when you earn them and others are vicious when you take them without the consent of others. So basically, I guess our motto, the, the motto is always judge and be prepared to be judged. I see. That's the big well, that's, key. Too. That's kind of diametrically opposed to everything I've ever been raised in the public schools to believe. I mean, we collectivists have various differing beliefs about morality. I mean, some would agree with you that one's own life is one's highest value. Th- then, you're not, then you're not much of a collectivist, are you, if you've got all these differing ideas? Well, you know, it, it, what matters in the end is that I'm, I'm trying to justify our political position, you see, and there's a, a variety of paths to it. Ethically, we have some would agree, uh, some agreeing with you that one's own life is one's highest value, but but that would believe that the life that matters is the afterlife. You see, when we will leave this imperfect uh, physical world, and if we lead a selfless life and make sacrifices for our fellow man, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, 
while we're here in this life, we'll get to spend an eternity in an effortless bliss with God afterlife, you see? Now, not every one of us collectivists shares that view. Other collectivists believe, like you, that this is, see, I'm trying to bridge here, Bob, <laughs> that, yeah, uh, right. that you know, this is the only life we get, but that uh, selflessness of the individual is impossible because there's not really any such thing as an individual. We're all, in reality, one big collective entity that must act in its own self-interest as a collective entity. So we collectivists also differ when it comes to our explanations concerning deservedness. We are all God's children and that we're all equal in the eyes of God. I mean, why then should we believe that some people are or should be entitled to more wealth and power than others? The idea that we're all a collective entity, that's true. We are. <laughs> Even as individuals, we form a collective identity. And, and various identities, and even voluntarily we do these things. Well, you're, you're twisting my words, you see. I, when I say collective entity, I, I'm talking about one entity. That's it. I mean, we're talking about there is no individual. Well, there is no one collective entity, and you've already said that in three different ways, so I can't <laughs> Well, really, you know, I'm, I'm doing really my best here. That as being... <laughs> no, you know, others of us, we, we collect, collectivists, uh, we recognize that individuals have unequal abilities, I mean, I'm not blind to the fact that I'm not six foot nine and I can't throw a basketball as well as the next guy. You know, some people are born stronger and some people are smarter. But then we ask, this is where you guys go wrong, you see. What, what we do is we ask, why those people who throw no effort of their own have the good luck to be born smarter or stronger should somehow be more deserving of wealth and power? And we ask, you know, if you were yet to be born but didn't know whether you were going to be born smart or stupid, strong or weak... Would you really want your deservedness to be based upon how smart or strong you're going to be born? Uh, I mean, would you want to... Well, it never is, you know. Well, we... It never <laughs> is. Even if you're born smart and strong, and they might be smart and strong, but they direct that energy into forcing other smart and strong people to support them. And that's, where, that's why it never works. You can't force other people So you're, you're saying people make these conscious choices. Third parties. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would just yeah. think, I'm going to put to you as the, on the collectivist side, that most people... They're going to want to hedge their bets a bit and say, look, just make sure everybody is equally deserving, no matter how smart or stupid, no matter how strong or weak. And that way, it's not really going to matter, you know, whether you're lucky in, in getting that gene pool to work in your favor or unlucky. You know, we express this collective good and desire for equality in different ways. You won't, you'll hear it different ways out of different collectivist mouths. Some of us will say that uh, we should live for something greater than ourselves. And others will say that we should do things for, you know, you've heard the word greater good. Uh, others of us seek to do things in a way to achieve, you know, the greatest happiness for the greatest number. There's your John Stuart Mill. And... But what we all agree upon, though, is that none of us is any more deserving than anyone else. That's a, a collectivist linchpin right there. We're, we're really wary of those who say that some people's beliefs, values, and ways of living are better or more worthy of respect. No belief, value, or way of living is any better than any other. Every belief, value, and way of life deserves equal respect. That's, that's the collectivist point of view. And as soon as you agree, to the contrary, when you say, you know, Western reason and science is better and more deserving of respect than, say, Eastern faith and mysticism, well then, buddy, you're just allowing that something along the lines of, you know, Hitler was right to say that white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Germans are better and more deserving than other races. You see, it's exactly the same. So we collectivists oppose supremacy in any and all forms, and we live by the model, judge not, lest ye be judged. You see, that's, I think we're, we're coming from opposite sides there. Well, you got that right. <laughs> Again, 
it's it's the contrast between judging and being judged and not being judged. If you're not judged, then nothing you're saying has any value. How do you judge the value of anything you've just said? It's totally worthless in the context of that very philosophy. Well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that point, Bob, because I judge it. <laughs> you know, I, I never I never like that statement. There's no such thing as agreeing to disagree. You just disagree, okay? Uh, what is? I always hated that. What does it say? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And James Brown is acknowledged as the godfather of soul. Who's James Brown? have a deal, Mr. Reagan? You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? <sighs> Ignorance is bliss. Okay, Bob, you were saying before that one of the main things uh, that's involved on your side of the equation is is this choosing bit. People can choose different courses of action that will have different results. Some guy might become rich, another guy might become poor, one person might live, might person, another person might die. Tell me about what you're calling the power to choose or the freedom to choose. Well, the freedom to choose is what really separates human beings from all other known species. <laughs> just for starters, and we all have the ability to choose among alternative courses of action, right? And we can determine what is true and make a choice according to knowing what is true. We can actually choose what is not true, too, if we, if we make that choice. There are consequences to each, and that's really what the process of reason teaches us, the consequences to certain choices based both on the logic of that choice and on what we have observed in the past when those choices are made, and which ones correspond to reality. I guess that's why we use that word reality, is the things that work are real. Right. And the only evidence of what is, is the evidence of our senses. And then that's why reality has to precede the consciousness. Otherwise, you have nothing to be conscious of, right? There's a real division here in, in the, the literature of, of the left and the right, if you will, of the the individualists and the uh, the collectivists. I mean, you guys are, as I understand it, you're sort of Aristotelian. You say, okay, there are these things out there. I can see them with my eyes. And when I see an apple, I see a thing that happens to be red and juicy and green and or red and, uh, and round and, and hard. And I can bite into it. And uh, you say that all apples fall into that same category. Like it's a generalization you can make. It's a concept. Right. But, you know, that's not, that's not it for us on the left. Uh, the, the collectivists have a different way of viewing knowledge of the world altogether. I mean, we collectivists have differing beliefs even about the power to choose. I mean, some of us believe that we don't even really have the power to make choices. Instead, uh, our minds and bodies just do what they're physically compelled to do. And we just think that what we've 
made a choice uh, to do is an actual choice, but it's not. It's just an illusion. Choice is an illusion. Now, that's not all of us. Some of us collectivists would agree with you that we have the power to choose, sure. Uh, you know, there are differences among us. Now, when it comes to what we can know and how we can obtain knowledge, we collectivists differ in our beliefs. I mean, some of us believe that we are actually hardwired with instincts like rats and reptiles and that we just act accordingly, uh, you know, according to those instincts. And, and some of us believe that knowledge can be obtained by divine revelation from a supernatural God, provided we have faith in that God and in the rightness of his message. But And we have others who believe that uh, we actually learn things, but not the way you're talking. Uh, rather, we would learn things by way of association or correlations. You know that old thing, you know, correlation does not necessarily imply uh, causation. Well, that's, that's where we're at. We're, we're all okay with the correlation, but the causation, that's another thing altogether. I mean, if we know that a rock is flying toward a window, we might next see a broken window, but we cannot really ever know why a rock flying toward a window is often followed by the breaking of the window. What, you know, we know it does happen, but we cannot know what makes it necessary for the glass to break. In fact, some of us say that there's no justification to say there is some probability at all that the window will break if a rock's throwing at, throwing at it. Because, you know, lacking any means of knowing the effect of a well, cause if or the, the wind, cause if, and effect. If the, if the window's bulletproof, it probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. There you and, go. And, You'd have to know that in advance, right? So you can't just pick a window and not have a specific identity to it. And we, we would know from repeated experience that you break a, a thin glass window with rocks, it'll break every time. You break well, see, now you're getting into identity, and this is the thing, like, we see things differently on the left. You know, the window, when that rock approaches it and, and touches it, it, yeah, it might break, and many of us have seen windows break, but really, in reality, there's no reason for that to happen. In reality, it might turn into a marshmallow when the stone hits it, or it, it might start dancing the cha-cha. There's no reason to believe that just because a rock has hit a glass, you know, hit glass in the past and the glass is shattered, that's what will happen again. That's, that's our position. I mean, it's so, not really a position; <laughs> it's just a belief. Oh, it's it's a well-founded, uh, well-founded in the literature. I, I would encourage yeah. you to read uh, Hume and and uh, and Kant after him yeah. and uh, Hegel. Uh, uh, we're all well. I mean, this is where philosophy—the rubber—really hits the road. If you go to university these days, you know, it, it's, it, it, that's it, the philosophy you're learning. It basically comes down to determinism versus free will, doesn't it? On such a large scale. Quite frankly, I like to cite John McMurray on this, who says, "What has been determined." is that man shall be free. We have no choice about our freedom if you want to believe in determinism, because it's true. We don't. We, can't, well, we cannot act like animals, which is a choice, I guess, and expect to have a human society with buildings and houses and homes and well, what we would call point, civilization, though. right? Yeah, but our point is that we can't really know what will cause anything to ha happen. I mean, there's no justification for saying... Well, that, I, would, I would agree with you as someone on the left that you can't know these things because obviously you can't. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, well, let me continue. You know, my argument is not just that. It's that that argument itself is self-fulfilling and self-prophecy and self-purpose. It's not an argument. Are you suggesting that I'm just rationalizing so as to get to the conclusion I want politically? I'm suggesting a lot worse than that, Mr. McKee. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me continue. Now, now, sure, some of us collectivists, we look at the world and we see entities having identities. You were talking about identities earlier. Well, some of us, for example, can look and see a round uh, reddish apple and bite into it and taste sweetness. But some of us collectivists believe that there are no entities at all. 
So you can't, can't even talk about what causes what because there aren't any what's to talk about. All we really have are sensations, physical sensations, you know, like eyes and ears produce uh, visions and, and, and sounds. And, and all we really have is those sensations of redness and roundness and sweetness. And that because we're sensing all these at the same time, these are just a bundle of sensations and we happen to call it apple. We just assign that word there. And then whenever we again experience redness at the same time as roundness and sweetness, well, again, just as a matter of convenience, mind you, just as a matter of convenience, we'll say that's apple, that combination of of taste and smell and touch and et cetera. We can't generalize though, or make a single concept called apple. We just have a collection of these, I don't know, images uh, that are very you similar. Know, that would be a debilitating state of mind to be in because every single experience you have in life would therefore be a first time experience. It would be the first time you've experienced anything, including gravity itself, because you're not too sure whether or not every step you take you'll still be on the earth because, you know, you could float up into the sky. I know a lot of these well, we, ideas come from guys like... we don't like to predict. Like <laughs> we don't like to predict. We just say we only know what's already happened and uh, if you haven't sensed it or you can't imagine it, then uh, you're talking nonsense. That's 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 our position. I mean, I mean, I would just say that uh, add to this that uh, uh, that also goes for your own existence. In other words, many of us on the left, the collective, you know, us collectivists believe that there's no reason to believe that one's self exists physically at all. Instead, when one says me or myself, all one is really referring to is a bundle of experiences. There is no me that undergoes experiences. I am those experiences. Those experiences have no cause that I can know. They're just what they are, and they have been what they've been. I, I can know my experiences, but I can know nothing about what caused my experiences. I can't know anything about the world. The only world that exists for me as a person on the left, a collectivist, is the world comprised of my experiences. That's it, Bob. That's, you can't go outside of your eyes to know what's really there. You only know these sensations that are hitting your brain. And uh, I think uh, many psychologists and philosophers would agree with us in the universities. Well, I would agree that you can't learn about the world strictly from your experiences. No doubt, because you can't experience the whole world. You can't experience anything outside of that which exactly touches your perceptions. And even yeah, there, you know. you're denying the validity of them. So there's nothing to learn, no purpose, no function, no anything to this strange... Well, what's this, what's this world that you believe in? Tell me about this world you believe in. What's the nature of reality as you see it? The nature of reality is that it exists, and after that, it's up to each individual to discover that nature through the process we've just been describing. If you abandon that process, that question will be forever unanswerable. So I, I gather that you think that there are real things out there, entities, and that they interact and things have causes? Absolutely. Well, what, what would you... Well, what would you say is the, you know, okay, well, how do you know existence, that something is caused by something else? Existence doesn't have a cause. I don't think that. I think existence has always existed. <laughs> but if that, if that window breaks, you know, what's, why does it break? What's the cause of the broken window? Well, it depends on the cause. <laughs> that has to be identified. And there we have to identify something again. You say the rock is the rock and it has its qualities and the window has its qualities and those qualities e are what do that's not even enough you have to know why the rock was projected in that direction maybe a person threw it maybe it was just floating in space i mean you can draw these analyses as far as you want but you don't want to draw them any further than is relevant to your own survival and well-being and so you only need to know that information that succeeds in those ends yeah, you see, that, but we on the left you know for us it's different bob i mean for us the ultimate goal is omniscience. We want to know everything. That's the standard by which we, we determine 
you know, truth and knowledge. If you just have a little bit of knowledge here and a little bit of knowledge there, you could be completely wrong. And if you're, if you're wrong at all, if you, if you don't know everything, you kind of know nothing, if you know what I mean. If you're afraid to be wrong, you can never be right. One must learn to be right. The people who are afraid to learn are the people afraid to be wrong. Now, you, you keep know, saying wrong as though there's a right out there. I, I just want to make this final point. I mean, yeah. we collectivists disagree about external reality. Okay, you know, some of us do believe that there are two realities, for example, one natural and physical, and, and another one that's supernatural and spiritual, like a, a supernatural world of perfect forms, as Plato used to say, you know, and then and in which there's this other realm in which things are natural and physical, and they're kind of like these fuzzy copies of the, of the forms. But not, I mean, not everybody on the left is a Platonist. I mean, some of us argue that there is a single physical external reality, just like you. But the existence of independent entities is an illusion. All there really is is randomly swirling, causeless fluxes of atoms or subatomic particles. Now, that's the scientists, and I think that's well-grounded in physics. But then uh, there's others among us who say that there's no external reality at all. Uh, you know, human whatnot, and, and that nothing exists independently of one's own mind, not even one's own body. However, we all agree on this, Bob, as collectivists. If there were an external, natural, physical world, it's not something about which there could there are any truths, you know. It's not that we lack the means of discovering truths about the external reality. It's that there are no truths about external reality. If truths exist, they exist independently of a physical realm, in a mental or spiritual realm. And I think that's ultimately where you and I are on opposite sides of the fence. You say that there's this reality out there and that everything's done in accordance with it. We're saying if there is one, we can't even access it. That truth is something higher than that or different from that. Of course, that brings us around full circle again, doesn't it? Because we're back to the primacy of existence versus the primacy of consciousness represented by Plato and Aristotle. Plato on the primacy of consciousness side and Aristotle on the primacy of existence. Right. And so there is the symbolism of it all. Can and I take I off my long... devil's advocate hat, Bob? I was just going to ask you, you know, <laughs> and a lot of the things you said there, Paul, would probably seem insane to a lot of people hearing what you're suggesting is being represented by the left. But that is the essence of what they're saying. That's right. If you read the books, if you could bother to go back and find out where communism came from, where various other kinds of collectivism came from, like Nazism or, or fascism, you're going to find the same anti-reality, anti-reason, anti-self systems of, of philosophy under, underpinning it. Excellent. I thought we'd leave our listeners with a bit of a challenge, and, and that's this. You know, They all know that Just Right exists, but most of the world is not conscious of the fact of our existence. So for those who do not know we exist... We don't, do we? <laughs> Make as many of your friends and acquaintances conscious of the existence of this show just right as you can, and that way they too, like you, can join us each and every week and will again next week as we steadfastly trek on our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for your further listening pleasure, here are the beautiful melodies of Dan Rowan with the songs of Dick Martin. Hi. 
Well, we uh, have a show I think you might enjoy tonight. A lot of uh, very interesting people on the show tonight. Tim Conway's here. John and Wayne. John Wayne's not here. He backed out again. <laughs> you can't trust those big oh, stars. Oh, hold it. Now, come on. You're going you're gonna to give these people the wrong impression. He was never supposed to be here. Well, that's funny. I dreamed he was on the show uh, tonight, and, uh, and I can't understand him. Well, that doesn't make it come true. Well, I dreamed you were on the show tonight, and you're here. Well, just forget John Wayne. Just think about some of the people who are here. Uh, well, let's see. There's Raquel Welch. There's Sophia Loren. Now, you know they're not here. Well, where are they? I don't know where they are. 